0: Welcome and welcome to this episode of Cargo Facts Connect, the podcast of Cargo Facts, newsletter record for the air cargo and freighter aircraft industries for over 40 years. I'm your host,
1: Andrew Kreider, Associate Editor of Cargo Facts. And I'm Robert Luke, Associate Editor of Cargo Facts.
2: And I'm Jeff Lee, Editor of Cargo Facts.
0: Gadfin Startup starts drone delivery in Israel beginning later this year. JLPS Ireland is nearing the delivery of its first A321 P2F and DroneHub is planning its entry into the U.S. market. You can read those stories on CargoFacts.com, but what you can't read is Rolls-Royce tested the hydrogen variant of their Uh, AE2100-A. Rolls-Royce told us that they were sure that there would be continued interest across the industry, to bring zero carbon technology solutions to market. The target for hydrogen is from the mid 2030s for the rollout of this engine. That's what they told us. Rob, do you see this hydrogen uh, engine as a viable future in the cargo market?
1: Andrew, I am greatly encouraged by this breakthrough and announcement by Rolls-Royce, and here's why. I'm gonna kind of answer the question with another question. With this unfolding, and looking at the projected timeline for sustainable aviation fuel to actually matriculate into the industry to have a significant impact. Which one do you think is going to reach that milestone first and have the greatest effect? Because we know with sustainable aviation fuel, it's a cleaner fuel, but hydrogen takes it to a a completely different level. So I'm going to throw that back at you and ask what your thoughts on that response. I think hydrogen is the
0: most uh, abundant element in our universe, uh, or at least the known parts of that universe, by the way, um, and the, if the only uh, product is water, it makes a whole lot of sense. But I, I I'm worried about it, um, given that you have to then develop these huge hydrogen storage tanks, and they still have the weight of an electric fuel cell um, to power it. Um, and we saw in some hydrogen platforms, like you modified hydrogen 206, um, or apologies, modified hydrogen 208s, which took a little bit of a performance dive when outrigged with hydrogen pods. Jeff, what do you think about that? I
2: think you meant Cessna 206 and Cessna 208s instead of hydrogen 206 and hydrogen 208s. <laughs>
0: hydrogen modified. I'm excited about the new
2: technology. Maybe well maybe they should be called hydrogen 206s and hydrogen 208s. Um, no, but I think we are really starting to see these um, initiatives take off and uh, which is good for the environment, of course, but um they do have um all these safety considerations, cost considerations, um, and just you know whether how practical these things are. Um, but it is happening. And I think we will kind of start to see just like unmanned operations and drones generally, perhaps um these things will all on the cargo side kind of um take the lead uh, simply because there are fewer people involved. And we actually saw. Um, a lot of uh, an announcements and things at um, the Airbus summit that took place this week, didn't we?
1: All right, and that was a great point. I definitely received that. But you said one thing that stuck out to me: volume and size that's being significantly reduced because of the hydrogen containers that are required to successfully power this this new design of uh, thrust. Ultimately, these operators, you know, are going to look at the dollars and cents. So in the, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think like a CEO in, my, in the back of my mind, do I want to just go with electric or do I just want to just try to continue to push the, the sustainable aviation approach or do I go hydrogen? And when I think that way, it's because if I go with the hydrogen engine, how much volume or business or profit potential am I losing? Because now I have to set aside a certain amount of uh, space on my aircraft to accommodate the fuel source for the hydrogen engine. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew and Jeff? <laughs>
0: I think you bring up a good, uh, a really good point um, because. I, with the the drone uh, manufacturers we talked to. Um, you have folks like Dronenamics who start announced earlier this month that they would make a hydrogen variant of their drone. But in all likelihood that it would be deploying that variant alongside um, its synthetic fuel drones and you have other folks like Nautilus or Um, uh, the uh, Arisma uh, manufacturing the Zeppelin in Russia uh, who've decided that they're going to start with conventional engines before um, switching to something a little bit more sustainable. And I I think we got that same sentiment um, from X-Wing as well. Um, You know, engines are complicated um, and it's going to take a lot of time. Um, Jeff, did you have anything else to say on that? Because I have something further as far as the engines being complicated part.
2: No, go ahead. I'm looking forward to hearing.
0: Because with the engines being complicated part, there was a major um, upset um, earlier this week as Boeing put a pause to the passenger 777-9 flight test program. Now, we haven't had an opportunity to reach out to Boeing um, to begin speculation on how that might delay the delivery of their first freighters. Um, but you know, even if it's a delay of a, a couple of months or of years in, a, in a, a serious situation, how do we think that this plays into the, the biggest co- competition in the cardio industry right now, the 777
1: versus the A350? All right, I'll interject here, Andrew, real quickly just to give a, a quick a quick thought on this. <laughs> there's two ways we can look at it. Boeing can be applauded, first and foremost, for being proactive enough to try to have a uh, more stringent approach to the technical acceptance and airworthiness standards that probably are exceeding what the FAA is requiring right now. So the fact that they identified this and made it public shows that they're trying to be uh, careful about their product. They're more concerned not only just about their bottom line dollar, but the client and the lives of the people that will be operating these newer vehicles once they are are, uh, integrated into regular operational status. Another approach is also beneficial to Boeing is that We've got our market pretty much pretty much solidified. When you look at the triple seven three hundred conversions that are coming out, when you're looking at the triple seven F that's already rolling strong out of the factory-built production models that they're they're putting out there, and people are still having a strong demand and interest in. Uh, not to mention the seven six seven in the medium sector is is still pretty strong from a uh, demand standpoint. I think it doesn't really it can't do any more damage than what's already been done to the to the company thus far from what they've experienced over the past couple of years. Jeff what are your thoughts?
2: I, I was going to say that the timeline for the freighter is is a pretty long one and we are you know at least four or five years away from even you know the, the first prototype rolling out so I I hope I'm right but I, I mean I don't think it will have that big an impact on the freighter side but of course um, I mean we we simply don't know what what the the issue is um at the moment but um in terms of timing i mean yes the this plays back into the the rivalry between airbus and boeing on, the, on their large wide body freighters because airbus um, the e350 is they're targeting a 2025 um, entry into service um which is already you know, two years before the, the 777-8-F. And this is a factor when customers are trying to decide um, which one they want. Um, it's not the only factor, of course, but for example, you know, when when Stilkway um, spoke at our event um, in San Diego, they, they did say that and this was before they they announced they had ordered the 777-AF as well but when they ordered the A350 um, one consideration was that that was basically they didn't have the the 777 Boeing hadn't launched the 777-AF although they probably had been talking to customers about it um, and they had already ordered the current generation 777 freighters um, back then. So, uh, the timing does matter. Um, and, but of course, like with these new developments, new programs, delays, unfortunately, kind of are to be expected. And I mean, we, yeah, let's just hope that this isn't um, too big of a setback. Well,
0: I, 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 I'd say that if this is all Boeing's game to lose. The triple seven um, was marketed in part, at least at cargo Fact symposium, as the best viable replacement for um, the aging 747 population. And then another thing to consider on that front um, is at the Airbus Symposium earlier this week Airbus said that Um, The new cabin design for the freighter would add 11 inches on the inside, um, and that means more volume and more space. Now they said that that would would be used for a walkway um, that that's going to help the loading process. So maybe a a faster turnaround time. Um, But. If you, the fact of the matter is these 747s will have to be pulled out of um, service um, and whether Boeing, if Boeing doesn't have a replacement, I see nowhere else for customers to look than the
2: A three hundred and fifty. Oh yeah, because I mean the A three hundred and fifty is also being targeted as a seven four seven replacement, and you know not everyone needs um, an aircraft as large or as powerful as the the with the range that the triple seven eight has, or the or the the payload. Um, you know which is why you know we have singapore and i'm selecting the a 350 um to replace uh it's seven four sevens so yeah i mean it's they each have their 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 benefits and uh, i mean not yeah not everyone is going to need the triple seven dash
1: eight and just to add to that guys you know going back to some initial discussions we've had about this you know COVID really just accelerated what the operators and lessors were already strategically planning, which was to provide customization to the needs of each client instead of forcing the client to customize their needs to the hub and spoke system, which is take a bunch of stuff to one central area and then redistribute it. Whereas a lot of these operators are like, no, I'd like to just have a point to point strategy where I can take what I want directly to my client where I can have a better control of wh- how it's being delivered when it's been when it's being delivered and how much is being delivered to them on a on a consistent basis so uh the a350 will definitely support that it's kind of like if you think about it in a weird way it's like the dreamliner of of freight because it's you know got the flexibility it's got the range it's got the price point affordability it's sizable enough where it's not too big or not too small but also you know, there is a market need for the 777-8F once it does come into play and it will get its share of the market once it is ready for full production. But um, we all pretty much can say right now there is, you know, COVID just accelerated the transition from the traditional method of delivering payload to the specialization of delivering express shipping. So um, I I do definitely think that's where we're going to see a definitive uh, uh, growth positively as you know, customers now have a plane that can specifically meet their needs directly.
0: Robert makes a very good point, point. Um, and to that I, I I do wonder, and this is for the both of you, um, do we think that if we had an, another del- delay on the um, 777-8F, who would benefit more? The A350F or On the heels of their first flight, um, IAIs 777 um, conversion program or Mammoth's 777 conversion program uh, or NIAR's 777 conversion program. Uh, Who's the winner? It's 777 conversions or the A350F?
1: I think both. And here's why. Because... Like we just mentioned, you know, everybody has a specific makeup and, and, and uh, performance requirement they have to fulfill, uh, not to mention a specific strategy that they're implementing for their operational purposes. Um, if the 777-8F does have an extended delay beyond what's currently been mentioned, then that gives. More feedstock, more demand, more reliance on the conversion types of the triple seven variant because there are operators that are going to need those heavier volumes. I mean, your DHLs, your FedExes, your Uh, they are going to look for something to replace their work, their workhorses, which is the seven fours. Because are they about to change their 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 structure of operations? No. So they're going to need the triple sevens to fulfill that uh, that 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 component of the seven four once it's uh officially obsolete and no longer eligible to continue flying uh the a350 is going to be that 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 one that caters to the smaller operators that say say you know we used to have to feel compelled to get these bigger airplanes but the a350 affords us the option of not having to do that so i think it's going to be an even distribution from that angle jeff what are your thoughts
2: well i mean i was going to say that i mean the a350 is is not as large as the 777-AF, but it is still very much a large and body freighter. And um, so, but no, but I mean, the tr- 777-AF, the A350, and the three triple seven um conversion programs don't overlap entirely. So you will have companies that, you know, probably uh, will not be considering the triple seven conversions, um, in any case, or you know, vice versa, you you have know, people that are not going to be interested in the the brand new reduction free test. Um, so whether or not the you know any potential delays, minor or major, um, affect that decision, I, I I'm not sure.
0: And on that. I believe that that's all we have the time for today. For more multimedia coverage like this, search Cargo Facts Connect on iTunes and Spotify and search CargoFacts.com. Thank you very much for joining us.